0: Thank you guys very much. We're glad you're here, Christy. So, wow. So this morning we're going to be in two different passages of the Bible. So if you would look them up, uh, we'll be there, and as we you know get going, the first is Psalm 68. So then the second one is Ephesians chapter four, and you can uh, look those up. That'd be terrific. But. I love that song, all authority and all victory is yours. Jesus is in charge. I don't know what picture you have of Jesus. Maybe the picture you have of Jesus is the the sanitized Hollywood version where he's the girly Jesus, you know? He looks like he just stepped out of the salon and he has pasty white skin and nice hair and soft blue eyes and lotiony hands and wouldn't hurt a flea. Or maybe you picture the religious Jesus that, Looks like he just stepped off one of those velvet paintings with the bleeding heart and the hands out like this and the really apologetic look on his face. You know, like he's somehow sorry he came to earth. I don't know what kind of picture you have of Jesus, but the picture that, that I have of Jesus, uh, the picture that I see in Scripture is that Jesus is a conquering king, that Jesus is large and he's in charge. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is not apologetic. He's God and he knows it. And uh, you deal with it, you know. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, he has a plan, he's working it, and that Jesus has he maintains complete victory over his enemies. That in fact Jesus' enemies aren't even a good competition for him. One of the one of the reasons why Psalm 68 is so cool is because it paints this awesome picture of Jesus and I want to take a look at it as we start this morning, and believe it or not, this does fit in with the spiritual gifts. I'm getting there, but I'm trying to give us some background, so hang with me for a little while, and we will get there, but Psalm 68, and eventually we're going to, I really want to park on Psalm 68, verse 18, but it's too good to skip all this stuff. Psalm 68, verse 1, may God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. I love that old camp song. Let God arise in new river. His enemies be scattered. Let God arise in new river. His enemies be scattered. You know that? Come on, you can sing it with me. His Let God arise in new river. His enemies be scattered. May God, may God arise. Okay, now that you know it, you can sing it with me. May God arise in New River, his enemies be scattered. Let God arise in New River, his enemies be scattered. May God arise in New River, his enemies be scattered. Let God, let God arise. May God arise in Manchester, his enemies be scattered. Come on, you fill in the blanks. Let God arise in Manchester, his enemies be scattered. Let God arise in Manchester, his enemies be scattered. May God, may God arise. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, one more time. Let God arise in St. Louis River, his enemies be scattered. Let God arise in New River, his enemies be scattered. Let God arise in New River, his enemies be scattered. May God, may God arise. Thank you, that's great. That's taken from Psalm 68, verse 1. May you, God, blow these enemies away like smoke, as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God. Love that. In other words, God's enemies aren't even competition, they're smoke in the wind, they're wax before heat. They just fall away, right? He does have enemies, but they are of naught. Verse 3, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. I love that picture. He's riding on the clouds. I guess 2,000 years ago, the ancient peoples would have pictured him riding on the clouds in a chariot. Nowadays, we would picture him riding on the clouds in a Hummer or a tank or something. He's riding on the clouds. He's in charge. He's rolling onto the battlefield. His enemies are running and with their tails tucked between their legs, they are out of here like rats off a sinking ship because God has shown up, right? Okay, that's, you need to get that. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's not this pasty, mealy-mouthed version that we get. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. But at the same time that he is tough, the same time that he's threatening to his enemies, look at this tender side to him in verse 5. He's a father to the fatherless, a defender. He's a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Sets them in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I love that about God. You just can't escape his heart all throughout scripture. Notice a father to the fatherless. He's not a kindly gentleman who takes an interest in the fatherless and says, why don't we talk once in a while? He's actually steps in and says, a father. And then we go to verse 17. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands, innumerable. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you took many captives and you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious that you, Lord God, might dwell there. So you see this picture? He's this conquering king. He has soundly defeated all of his enemies. They're scattered. They are just gone to the wind. And then when the battle's over and the dust is settled and the enemies are conquered, this king ascends to his throne and he takes his rightful place as the king of kings, the lord of lords, as, as Jefe, as El Presidente, as the, the top dog, as the one who's in charge. And then all of his people come around him and they bring him gifts because he's worthy of the gifts. I mean, he has conquered our enemies for us, so of course I want to give him my best right it's a beautiful picture now hang on to that picture for a second because we will come back to 68 verse 18 in a few minutes i operate with a very basic very simple kind of understanding about how life works and that's this there's only two teams there's the good team and the bad team right there's god he's good there's the devil he's bad and I don't want the two teams to mix. Some people live like, somehow, like there's this in-between team, you know? Like somehow God sort of meddles in with Satan's business and Satan somehow does some good things once in a while. No, good, bad, the two don't mix. It's one or the other. And so one thing though about Satan is this, Satan is constantly working to counterfeit God's good things. So if God gives love, Satan sells us lust. If God gives us peace, which is awesome, then Satan just sells us tolerance. God, God, uh, God has the gift of joy, real joy, unshakable contentment. Satan will sell you pleasure that masks joy. See, he's always counterfeiting the stuff that God gives, the good gifts that God has, always. And then we come to First John chapter four, verse three. It says the reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy them, not to give the devil a black eye, not to simply, you know, put the devil in his place, not to, he came literally to destroy the devil. That's what Jesus came to do. So when Jesus ministered on planet earth for 33 and a half years, Jesus was constantly doing battle. Taken back, reclaiming stuff that Satan had stolen, the counterfeits, Jesus is attacking those and bringing in the reality, the truth. You follow that? He came to destroy the works of the devil. There were five things in particular that Jesus came to destroy, that Jesus addressed when he was here. And not just, not just these five, he certainly did many more. So please don't think that this is all there is. But I just want to take a look at these five because they relate to, the spiritual gifts that we're going to talk about in a moment. The first is this, Jesus combated lies that keep people trapped in sin. The second thing that Jesus did was he absolutely obliterated wrong information that keeps people trapped in lies. The third thing that Jesus did was he attacked shame that keeps people trapped in hopelessness. The fourth thing that Jesus did is he provided defense to those who were defenseless, that that we were left without any fences, we were left without any protection, without any guard, and Jesus came and he shored that up so that we would not be vulnerable to attack. And then the fifth thing that Jesus did was he attacked fear, fear that makes people selfish instead of generous. Here's how that plays out so lies that keep people trapped in sin come from false prophets. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, Jesus warned people. He said, "Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves." A false prophet is someone who lies to you about God's character, who claims to be an authority on God, but they but they portray to you a wrong image of who God is, of God's character. They make God's character less than good. They make Jesus less than God. And sometimes it's really subtle, really subtle. You have to watch out for it. But that's what a false prophet does. They minimize the person of Jesus. They minimize the character of God. Second thing, wrong information that keeps people trapped in lies, well, that comes from false teachers. Jesus challenged this in his ministry too. He says in Matthew 23, 13, woe to you, teachers of the law. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Wow, didn't have some nice things to say to false teachers, did he? A false teacher is someone who gives you rules taught by men. They give you traditions rather than scripture. They give you rules that lay heavy burdens on you rather than set you free with truth. That's a false teacher. The third thing that Jesus attacked was shame. Shame that keeps people trapped in hopelessness, that comes from false evangelists. Jesus had this to say to false evangelists. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around the world to make one proselyte and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves ouch. False evangelists are those who sell you religion, but they don't give you Jesus. It's a false evangelist. They're not giving you hope. They're just giving you more stuff you got to do. Fourth, without good leadership and care, people are left defenseless. They're, They're left, you know, vulnerable to attack. And Jesus addressed this also. The Bible tells us that seeing the people Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, this issue of shepherding is really important. Shepherding and pastoring, the word pastor and the word shepherd are the same word in the Bible. They're both the same. And so much of what a pastor does is shepherding, kind of like sheep. And and so even in the Old Testament, as far back as the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah railed against false pastors He called them worthless shepherds. That was the actual term he used, worthless shepherds. Because instead of serving God's people, they used God's people to further themselves. They used God's people to pad their pockets. They used God's people to make their own lives good. Meanwhile, they were hurting. That's a worthless shepherd. It leaves people confused. You know what, there are still false pastors today They're more than happy to have you beef up their numbers. They're more than happy to have you buy their books and have you attend their conferences and have you pad their bottom line. Very happy to have you do that. But they leave you defenseless. They leave you confused. They leave you not knowing which end is up. Worthless shepherds, they're called. And Jesus attacked that. And then fifthly, fear that makes people selfish instead of generous, that comes through false apostles. Apostles. Jesus congratulated the Ephesian church, the Christians that lived in the city of Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, verse two, he had this to say to them. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and you've found them to be false. So he's congratulating this church because they tested out the apostles and they're like, Yeah, that guy ain't the real deal. He's false. And they they ran from him, they stayed away from him. That's a good thing. Listen, friends, a false apostle is someone who will not inspire you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. A false apostle is someone who keeps you locked into local church doing local things for the rest of your life. They don't they don't they don't inspire you to to give generously of yourself of your time, of your talents, of your treasures in order to expand the kingdom of God. But they just keep you, they keep your focus in one little spot. I'll explain this further as we go along. So that brings us to Ephesians chapter four. So I said all that, that was all introduction. I know you're nervous, aren't you? It was all introduction. So now we go to Ephesians chapter four and we we read what the Apostle Paul tells us about these special gifts. That Jesus has given to the church Now this is called the son's gifts Last week we looked at the father's gifts This is the son's gifts As you'll see they come right from Jesus So we start with Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 He says this He says but to each one of us Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it This is why it says When he ascended on high he took many captives And he gave gifts to his people Stop for a second what's the it? Remember, remember what was the Apostle Paul's Bible, right? The New Testament wasn't formed as yet in Paul's day. So Paul's writing this, when he says the it, what's he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament, what you and I would call the Old Testament. That's the it. And so Paul goes, here's what it says, and he quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Oh, stop, wait a second. Ah, you catch that? That's why I started the way I started. You catch this? Paul is quoting this verse that would have been a very common, they would have known it, and he intentionally just tweaks it a hair to make his point, to make an illustration. So in, this, in Psalm 68, the conquering king ascends his throne after the battle's over, and we bring him gifts. But now in Ephesians chapter four, Jesus, the conquering king, soundly defeats. He whoops Satan like there's no tomorrow, and he ascends to his throne, his rightful place of rulership, and he's in charge. And what does he do? He gives gifts to his people. Well, what gifts does he give? He goes on, verse five, verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended do you see that in verse 11? Where do these gifts come from? The Bible's pretty clear. Christ himself. These are gifts from Jesus. You know what they are? They're spoils of war. That's why I began the way that I did. They're spoils of war. Jesus plundered hell. Jesus defeated the enemy. Jesus came against the devil himself, attacking, railing against him, ripping apart the kingdom of hell, brick by brick by brick. And then Jesus completely demoralizes and 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 defeats Satan. And then Jesus plunders Satan. And then before he goes to heaven, as he ascends to heaven, Paul tells us here in Ephesians four. Jesus says, You know, I'm going to share these spoils of war with my people. I'm going to give them. And there's five that he gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor. Notice the word the, the definite article there, tells you that it's not just an it, it's actually a person. The apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, these are people he's referring to. Not just a, a thing, per se. So we need to understand that there's, it's possible for somebody to have the gift of prophecy and yet not serve in the office of the prophet. Okay, I'll illustrate it this way. You call me pastor. I serve in the office of pastor of New River Church. Great. But there's also the spiritual gift of pastoring. And New River Church has other pastors that just don't serve in the office of pastor. Do you understand? Does that make sense? And so each one of these things has its it works the same way. There are people with the gift of prophecy who don't serve in the office of the prophet. There are people with the gift of apostleship who don't serve in the office of the apostle. Follow? but. It doesn't mean, but it, but it means that we still need these five offices. We need them in place. Why? Because if they're not in place, the body isn't getting equipped. You notice that Jesus gave us everything we need for life and godliness? He's left his church everything she needs to grow, to expand his kingdom on this planet, to, to continue plundering hell until Jesus comes back He's left his people with everything they need. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. So how does this work? Let me explain it. I need five. I need a, a volunteer first of all. I need. I need my. Uh, we're going to start with our apostle. So let's see. I need. I need an apostle. We've got. Come on, buddy, Enrique. Come on up here, Eric. There you go. Great. Look, it's even like a look, Eric, it's even, it's even uh, camouflage, so it's like right up your alley, and I've been told you can take this, because they don't want them back, so it's a donation, hey, it's from Cabela's, I think, I don't know, anyway, so here's our apostle, listen, here's what the apostle does, okay, you know where the word apostle comes from, so in the Roman Empire, you know, the Romans, they were constantly uh, conquering new lands, right, and you know what the Romans called anybody who wasn't Roman? They called them barbarians. That was how they felt about the rest of the world. But mostly, it probably comes—the word "barbarian" probably comes from the language. You know, have you ever—if you ever traveled in a foreign country, do you understand what they're saying? Does it sound like gibberish, right? And yet, when they're talking, it's like they get it because they know all the individual words. But when you hear it, not knowing the language, it just sounds like bar 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 bar. You don't understand it. So the Romans, not understanding all these foreign languages, just simply labeled anybody who wasn't Roman, barbarian. But as the Romans conquered barbarians, in their term, they would conquer a new place, and then they would send some Roman citizens over to that new spot. And they would say, now it's your job to colonize these barbarians and make them Roman. They called those people apostles. It was their job to Romanize barbarians, okay? So now in the church, we borrow this term, and now apostles are those whose job it is to uh, kingdomize, to Christianize, if you will, a new a new place. Your apostle is the person who's always looking out. They always see the new places that the church needs to go, and it's not just necessarily even new, like, countries, per se. It's, let's deal with the uh, Let's, let's get involved in politics, church. There's a place, there's a realm that's not been touched by the kingdom of God. Let's get involved in the public schools, church. There's a realm that's not been touched by the kingdom of God. The apostles always looking for places where the kingdom of God can kind of do a drop in and begin to permeate and influence it. Does that make sense? And it also applies to missionaries who go to foreign lands, same concept. We have apostles in our church there but you'll notice them because they are they're not just content with new river church i don't want to use the word content they're not just bound the new river church they're always thinking about what god's doing in other churches too and they inspire us to be thinking bigger than just new river church let's think kingdom where are we going next you know there's orphans over here that need to get taken care of and, this place over here, they need the gospel. That's the apostle. is always challenging us to think outside of ourselves. That's why I say the false apostle doesn't do anything to address your fear. He allows you to stay selfish. A genuine apostle is going to inspire the generosity, He's going to inspire a big, a bigger vision to your life, a bigger vision. So that's the apostle. Hang on there. So now we need, uh, so who's our prophet? Eric, pick one. I think she was she was throwing you under the bus. I, I think, think she's was. okay. Thank you. So come on up, sweetheart. So, so we have a prophet. Perfect. That's what you get. I'm um, just fair bat. It's a. What's that? Revenge. Is, what's that? Turnabout's fair play. Here we go. It's a prophet. So here's what the prophet does. The prophet is the person who hears the heart of God, and they're God's spokesperson. They, they can. You know they can take they can take a, something from God's heart. They can take something from God's word, which is His heart, and they can apply it to any given situation. First Corinthians fourteen three. I always come back to that when we talk about what a prophet is. A prophet is anyone who speaks to one for their strengthening, encouragement, or comfort. That's what a modern prophet does. So, do you need more strengthening, church? You need any more encouragement, church? Need any more comfort? Then we need more prophets, okay? So the gift of prophecy is able to do that. The prophet also can look ahead. The prophet also can say, you know, this is where God is taking us in the next 10 years. They have the capacity to do that. They're sort of the eyes and ears, if you will, of the church. Now, let's see, who's our our teacher? Okay, come on up, Jenny. You're our teacher. You knew you were coming next, probably, didn't you? Yeah, you know it. So, look at this, This that even still has the cardboard thing stuck in it. Like, this is brand new. Thanks, Janelle party she, these are all. So here we are, so here's the teacher. The teacher's job, the teacher's job is to take this written word and they begin to say, you know, this is what the church needs to learn right now. It's the teacher that looks at New River Church and says, we really need to learn more about spiritual gifts, so we need to put together good studies, good lessons on spiritual gifts. That's the teacher. The teacher looks at their life group and they say, "You know, we really need to, we really need to get into a better understanding of the Holy Spirit." So we're going to get into that, we're, or we really need to get into whatever it is. The teacher is always aware of what people need to learn, and boy, do we need teachers, right? Because they, because, because we all have holes in our understanding that need to get filled, and the teacher fills those holes for us. It's a good thing. We need teachers. So so that's important. We've got the teacher teaching the body. So we've got the apostle pushing us out, and we've got the prophet who's encouraging us, and we've got the teacher who's in teaching us, who's filling in the gaps for us, and then we have the evangelist. Who's our evangelist? Okay, come on up, Mag. Magarific. Magarific. Here she is. She's our evangelist. The evangelist is somebody who's given the good news, the gospel, the good news. But more than that, this is one of those ones that, honestly, it's kind of my pet peeve because I hear it all the time in the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. What's the evangelist? Their job is to equip you to share your faith. Just because she's sharing her faith doesn't mean that she's got the gift of evangelism. The person with the gift of evangelism is the person who inspires you to share your faith. Friends, every single person who calls on the name of Jesus Christ has the opportunity and the privilege to share our faith. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I don't even know that it's possible to really be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and live my whole life and not ever lead somebody to Christ. You are salt, you are light. It's who you are, it's part of your DNA. So if there's no salt and there's no light, then you gotta wonder, am I missing something? You know, I gotta pull back, get on my knees before Jesus, get some things straight. So every one of us, every one of us has the privilege of sharing our faith. That doesn't make you an evangelist, per se. The evangelist in the body is the person who, you know what, we get around you, Maggie, and I just get inspired to share my faith more. Like I hear you talk about all the stories, you know, about the guy you shared Jesus with on the bus, or I hear you tell about the guy on the airplane that you gave the word to. Yeah, you know, I hear about that, and I think, man, I need to be more like Maggie. I need to do that better. There's something about the evangelist that inspires me to share my faith. But not only that, you also equip us because you go, well, hey, Doug, here's what I did. Look, I, I whip out this Bible verse, and then I whip out that, and then I do this, and I do that. And I go, that's how that works? Cool, oh, thank you. She equips me to share my faith. You see how that works? And then lastly, we've got pastor. Somebody wanna be pastor? We need Pastor Harless, come on Harless, you're our pastor, he's one of our elders. He does have the gift of pastoring, by the way. He's a very good shepherd, he cares for, he cares for us as a church. We can make it, in here, there we go, that's better. I don't want to cut the blood off in your head. That wouldn't be good. So, (laughs) Loosen the cap. (laughs) So so the word pastor, pastor is a shepherd. The word is shepherd, pastor in the Bible. They're both the same word. And the idea is, you know, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd has a flock of sheep that they're responsible to care for, to be sure that they get fed, that they are protected, that they are moved to the right places. The pastor's actually, the pastor's job is actually to be focused on the congregation. So the apostle is actually outside of the congregation, and the prophet's encouraging the congregation, the teacher is training the congregation, the evangelist is challenging the congregation to be sharing their faith right where they're at, and the pastor, he's the person, she's the person who pulls it all together and who cares for this local body of people and you see what happens when God puts all these pieces together. When He puts these pieces together, like Ephesians 4 says, the people get equipped. They get built up. You got a you've got a happy flock of people. You know they're they're firing on all cylinders. They're enjoying Jesus. They're obeying the Lord. They're learning new things. They're taking new ground. I mean that's a good thing when you got all five of these gifts working together. Now, I want to bring out something really important. Remember, these are spoils of war. Remember, Satan has his counterfeits of these. False apostles, false prophets, false teachers, false evangelists, false pastors. He does. But remember, Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Jesus plundered them. He took them back. And he's given to us true apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. Can I just share a vision piece with you, just as a pastor, as, as a leader here? I'll just share with you something that I see, that we've seen for a number of years, that I'm really praying about and wrestling with, um, with the Lord. And that's this, I believe that, that our organizational chart, if you will, needs to have these five at the top, somehow. That these five form the leadership team of New River Church. Because when you have all five of these in place, friends, you see what happens? You see the result? You get equipped. It it benefits you when you got all five of these in place working together. And I'm convinced that all five of these gifts are present here. I'm also convinced that all five of these people are present here. I'm just asking, and I ask you to pray with me. Jesus, would you reveal who they are? Would you reveal who they are? And I'm Coming to the place Karis and I were just praying about this and talking about this the other day. Because I'm like, the thing I wrestle with is, well, what do you do? Do you wait for Harless to be like Joe's super pastor before we, you know, lay hands on him and we call him our pastor? I mean, there certainly would be some things that have to be in place in his life. I'm not saying that. But but like I was thinking about this, like I was twenty-two when I first became a pastor. Like what the heck were they thinking when they hired me? Right? right? I had a whole lot to learn and grow, a whole lot to do. So I don't know that we need to, I don't know that it's right, and it's necessarily wait until some magic moment when somebody becomes like, whoo, before we lay our hands on them. I wonder if we put our hands on this person and we pray for them, we encourage them, and they grow in the office. Make sense? Because uh, waiting until we get all five of these perfectly in place, uh, we might be waiting a very long time i'm just sharing my heart with you that's something i'm wrestling with myself but i want to see these five at play in new river because friends it only benefits the body it equips us it builds us up we need them so thank you you can keep your hats because they're really not uh, they're really not to be returned you can have a seat the the thing is this when jesus was ministering on the on earth when he was here Jesus served in all five of those roles perfectly, didn't he? He's the perfect pastor, the perfect prophet, the perfect apostle, perfect evangelist, perfect teacher. Jesus did all five perfectly. The chances of any one of us being able to do all five, even imperfectly, are slim. That's Jesus. So Jesus gives them to individuals. So the most that I could ever do would be one of those, and even that I wouldn't be close to perfect in, but I could at least you know, fulfill one of those offices. So he gives us five. This is Jesus's dream team, these five gifts right here. I hope I'm making sense. And I wonder, are you here today? Are you the one that that Jesus has put his hand on? I said, you know, I wanna call you to be an apostle. Are you one that Jesus has his hand on saying, I've given you the gift of evangelism. I want you to be My evangelist, I want you to be my teacher. Because that that, that group of people, they need your gift. They need you to take your place. Hmm, I wonder. And then one more thing. All of us have been abused by the false use of these gifts, right? I can think of a few horror stories of false prophets, false teachers, false pastors, some of you are even here as a result of false pastors. You've been burned, hurt, cast aside, disoriented, right? You've come to New River hurting, and God's healing you up. That's a good thing. But just because you've experienced the false side of these gifts, don't throw that out and assume that now those gifts don't exist. So a lot of people do. Remember, Jesus gave us the true gifts. So let's together as a body say, we're going to go after this, what God has for us, what Jesus has for us. Jesus died so that we could enjoy this. Ministry isn't easy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This just really stood out to me this week. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, since, therefore, since by God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then he goes on to talk about how he has this treasure in a jar of clay and how difficult it is and how we get beat up and depressed and perplexed and thrown aside and bruised and all this stuff, you know. In other words, this ministry that God gave him is not an easy ministry. And anybody that knows the Apostle Paul's ministry, it wasn't easy, was it? And he goes, since by God's mercy I've received this ministry, we don't lose heart because it comes from God's mercy. It's from God. And I can tell you this, friend, if you're going to try to minister... If you're gonna try to make a difference in Jesus' name, count on opposition. Count on it not being easy. It's not easy. It is not easy. That's why we need a team. That's why we need to be encouraging and supporting one another. You can't do it alone. You just can't. The Apostle Paul didn't do it alone, nor should we. Let's bow our heads and pray, and I ask uh, Chris and the team to come and lead us as we close. So, Jesus, we just want to thank you for giving us these gifts. Jesus, uh, I thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. I thank you, Jesus, that you are victorious, that you are in charge, that you are seated on your throne. I thank you that your enemies, they're, they're really nothing there's their, their, their smoke in the wind wax in the fire. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Lord, I acknowledge today that you have given these gifts and that these five gifts are present in the body of New River Church. So, Lord, we're asking that you would reveal, that you'd let us see what you see, that we could, uh, that, Lord, we could lay hands on them and agree with you that this is what you're doing. So, Lord, thank you. I also want to pray this morning for those of us that have been hurt by the false use of these gifts. Many of us have. Many of us are still carrying the wounds. I want to ask Jesus that you would bring healing to them today. Restore them.